Galatians 6, verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. I feel like taking an offering right now. <laughs> Brothers, come forward. <laughs> ah, so bad. I should stop. I can't though. <laughs> Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Jesus, we have gathered this morning because we love you and we've been moved by your grace and your mercy, by your ultimate act of sacrifice to come, to hear, to be conformed, to be transformed, to have our minds renewed, to have our spirits lifted, to have heart surgery so we think like you do. So this morning, Lord, may your presence be here. May we be able to say of a truth, God is in this place. He showed up. He met me changed me, encouraged me, comforted me, moved me. So would you do that? May we be the clay. Would you be the potter? And we ask this in your name. Amen. There's a little phrase that really got me to do this message. And it's in verse nine. It says this, let us not grow weary of doing good. Why would the Bible say that? Because you're going to grow weary of doing good. That's why it's there. <laughs> I love how honest scripture is. Moms, you ever get tired of doing good? Right? Tired of doing the laundry? Tired of cooking meals? Tired of driving your kids everywhere? You ever get tired of play dates? Right? Really, I have to go to on another play date, hanging out with little humans, getting fights, they make messes. Like, I want a real date with my husband. Tired of play dates. Ever feel that way? Yeah. Ever worried about like the future for your kids? Where they can grow up to be? They can grow up to be addicted to drugs? Get involved with the wrong kind of person? Ever fear like, oh no, my kid ate a non-organic graham cracker. They're going to get leukemia now. Like there's all this just fear and worry. It's just like, I just throw my hands up and give up. Dad, you ever get tired of doing good? Does it feel like you roll the rock to the top of the hill just to have it roll back down the other side? 
Like just continual cycles of the same thing. Like when is this gonna change? You ever get tired of fixing stuff at your house? Like I did not know being a dad would require an engineering degree. Like I'm gonna fix stuff all the time. We are on our fifth dishwasher. Five dishwashers. This is insane, right? And modern dishwashers, do they actually wash the dishes? No, here's what my dishwasher does. It takes the small pieces of food, makes them much smaller, a paste, and then it smears them evenly across all the dishes and then dries them, right? And then you're, you're like, you feel this crust on everything, right? It's like seasoning now. Like, ah, oh, that's just the way it is. It's like a seasoned pan. It's yesterday, it's not that bad. Don't worry about it, it'll taste better. It's nuts, right? I was constantly fishing the, fixing the dishwasher. I'm like, why do we break dishwashers so often? Then I came into my house and my daughters were emptying the dishwasher. And so the door was open and there's my two-year-old son jumping on it like a trampoline. I'm like, do, does anyone see this? Like, what is going on? Right? So I just took a screw gun and just screwed it shut. We're not using this thing anymore. Now, it doesn't work anyway. So why, why bother? Yeah. Yeah. Drying rack. That's what we use it for now. Seriously. It's pathetic. Right? Singles, you tired of trying to find a spouse, like the right kind of spouse today? Like, I think they've gone extinct. They're like the dodo bird. Good luck finding a good spouse, right? Well, he is, you know, upright. He does, he's bipedal, right? No doubt about it. His grunts and his groans, I can kind of interpret what he's saying now. So yeah, you know, yeah, it might work, all right. Well, she, you know, she stole my wallet, but she gave me back my driver's license. That counts for something, all right? Try to try to stay pure in this world that just hammers you with impurity. And just grow weird. Forget it, man. I'm giving up. Employers, you're tired of giving people a second chance to only have them use you again. Employees, are you tired of working your tail off just to be passed on because of politics and not because of talent or skill or hard work? Right? Families, you're tired of walking with someone who's addicted in your family to see the same thing repeated year after year after year. You're like, bro, you don't need any more evidence that what you're doing is destructive. And they can't seem to get it. You want to throw up your hands and say, I give up. I can't do this anymore. I can't walk with you anymore. It's tiring, right? Addicts, are you tired of that cycle? Like, when am I going to change? See, the Bible's real honest. We grow weary in well-doing. I think Paul's writing this because he knows scripture. There's a bunch of people in the Bible that started out really good, and then they tripped and stumbled before the finish line. Noah, man, brilliant dude, preaches righteousness for 100 years and no one believes him. And I would have given up after year one. He, is, he just keep, doesn't give up, doesn't get up. Builds a boat in the middle of the desert, right? He has obedience to God on a level that you and I don't even, we can't even comprehend that level. Build a boat out here, why? Trust me, okay? With the last image we get of Noah, he's 600 years old. He's naked and drunk in his tent. And something weird has happened there, really weird. People argue about what it was, but it's weird, right? That's the last picture we get. 600 years old, naked and drunk. Sorry for that word picture in your head. David, man, brilliant, defeats Goliath, defeats all of Israel's enemies, writes 72 of the Psalms. Like, he is amazing. But the last picture we get of David, he can't keep himself warm at night. And he 
leaves behind a family that's full of rape, murder, and rebellion. It ends like a bad episode of Jersey Shores. I'm not sure there's a good episode. It ends like an episode of Jersey Shores. Whose baby is it? King David's, what? Right? Solomon. God says, you can have anything you want. I want wisdom to rule this people. Great answer, right? I'm gonna give you wisdom and I'm gonna give you peace and I'm gonna give you prosperity, right? He is so wise in the way that he rules Jerusalem that silver is like three-quarter minus. They just use it for roads, ah, so it's worthless. That's how good he is at what he does. Brilliant, builds the temple, writes the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. Wow, killer. But then stumbles and trips. 700 wives, 300 concubines, goes into idolatry and hands over a crumbling empire to his son who destroys it. All right, the Bible's full of these people that started well, but then just unbelievably tripped and went south. Don't grow weary in well-doing because it happens. I think the church, big C church contributes to this because we'll do something to you. We know we need help. We know we need help, like right now, back in the kids' wing. We always need help in the kids' wing. So what we'll do then is we'll not encourage you, which is a good thing to do. We'll guilt you into doing it, right? Like, come on, don't you love kids? Don't you wanna help kids? Jesus said, suffer the little children to come to me. Aren't you like Jesus? So we'll do all these things, Psalm 78, right? Man, let one generation declare God's work to the next generation so they put their hope in God. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Come on, what's wrong with you? So we'll start doing that, just pressuring people. If you don't help out kids, they're gonna hurt you. Yes. They're gonna rob you for your DB quad shot. So then someone's like, okay, I'll do it. I don't really like kids, but I'll do it. So you go through the print training and the process and then you get shipped down to your first class. And you go in there and kids are like dogs. They can smell fear and guilt. They're like, this one, this one, he's afraid and he's guilty. And so they kick you and they poke you and they punch you and they puke on you. And you're like, ah, there's snot flying everywhere because everyone's sick. You're like, man, this is a bummer. And finally you're done with it and you're checking out kids, you know, in the orderly way that Matt Hamilton wants you to do it. Every kid is accounted for, we're doing this right. But some parent doesn't want to wait. So he's like, Billy, come here. So Billy just starts walking. You're like, no, you gotta wait. He pushes beside you and just jumps the turnstile and off he's gone. You're like, oh my goodness. See you later. Hopefully at another church. <laughs> right? And you go home because of all the snot, you get the flu. And you're like, forget it, man. I'm not serving anymore. That's called guilting and it never works. So we can contribute to that. We put you in the wrong spot. So when I ask for volunteers for kids, I always say, make sure you like kids because you're not gonna avoid them down there. Some people don't like kids. Don't volunteer for the kids ministry. You'll hate it because there's kids everywhere. So we can contribute to this because we put you in the wrong spot and then you're miserable at it. No doubt about it. So this warning is absolutely important. Don't grow weary in well-doing because people do. There's this book by Steve Farrar called Finishing Strong. And he says this, he goes to the Old Testament. He said, one in 10 people in the Old Testament finish strong. One in 10, that's it. The majority, the vast majority stumble and trip 
before they hit the finish line. So how do we take this little bit of wisdom that Paul ends Galatians with, how do we take this wisdom and apply it to our lives so that we don't grow weary and give up? I think there's some little nuggets in here that can help you. First of all, what's the main analogy in these verses? Farming, right? You sow, you reap, you plant, that's what you do. Well, he gives us a really good fact about sowing. It's verse seven. If you sow a seed of corn, what can you expect to come up? Corn, right? That there's a direct link between the kind of seeds you plant and the kind of fruit that's produced. They're linked. You can't plant corn and then say, man, I hope tomatoes come up. It's all, it's all, it's just the way it's been for history. If you plant this kind of seed, you'll get this kind of a crop. If you plant one seed, you'll get one plant. Like this is just a non-negotiable fact of seeds. So fact number one is this. Yay. She's a future farmer of America. She is stoked on farming. (laughs) Fact number one is this. Sow good seed. If you want good stuff to come tomorrow, then what should you be doing today? Verse seven says, just sow good seed. It's that simple. Sow good seed. The seed I plant today is the bread I'll eat tomorrow. That's life. That's just a simple life lesson. That's the facts of life. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It doesn't matter. I don't believe in corn. I don't believe in the corn seed. Guess what? It doesn't care. It still produces the same thing that you planted it for. You won't change it. That's, it's, in, it's, it's uncontestable. So fact number one is this, verse seven, plant good seed. Number two, it's verse eight. Here's what I say verse eight is. Don't give up. Verse eight and nine, really. Don't give up on the good seed. Anyone in here garden? Isn't there something interesting about gardening? Like you go out in the spring and you, you weed everything, you, you plant your good seeds in the ground, and then, then your good seeds, it's like they're, they're stuck in molasses. They grow painfully slow. But what do the weeds do? They're like 10 feet tall. I think it's a conspiracy from Monsanto. Like to force you to buy their junk, right? And it's crazy. So you know this, you can't give up. You can't give up on your good seed. Yesterday, I drove to Central Point with, my, with some of my kids. And there's those big... Um, Fields there right before Central Point. Guess what that guy's already done? When he plowed those fields up, he's already amending them right now, right? He's doing it right now because he knows I gotta do it now. And then in the fall, he's gotta plow and amend, but then springtime, guess what he does again? He plows and amends. And then he plants, and after he plants, he fertilizes and waters and weeds and fertilizes and waters and weeds and waters and weeds and waters and weeds and waters and weeds. What happens to that farmer if he gives up one week before harvest? What does he get? Goose egg, nothing. It's not like jobs that we have where we're paid by the hour and they have to pay you and there's laws. A farmer doesn't have those laws. A farmer has to see the crop from the beginning to the end or he gets nothing, right? That's farming. That's hard, hard farming. You cannot give up. What do we admire in people now? Do we admire that 
don't give up attitude of a farmer? I don't think so. I think we admire like athletics. We admire power, uh, how people look, um, brands, charisma. That, that's what we admire. Those are, that's what's been elevated in our culture today. Athletics and looks and that. But when I think personally about like older people in my life that are 15, 20 years older than me, you know what I admire in an older man? I'm not like, dude, look at the abs on that guy. Oh. Right? I, I hope that's not you either or you need counseling. Goodness. No, you know what I admire? That guy's been faithful. He's been faithful to his family, been faithful to his kids, been faithful to this town. That guy has been faithful. The Bible says this, 1 Corinthians 4, 2. It is required, not recommended, not a good idea, not one of many. It is required of leaders to be found faithful. Like a farmer, you start it and you don't give up until harvest time. It's required. So when I read that, I thought, why do we give up? Why are so many people, why do we see in the Old Testament, why do we give up? If it's so important and it's so needed, why do we give up? Here's my stab at it. Here's why I think we give up. Number one, we forget that harvest does not happen till the fall. We forget that cycle, that long cycle. And I think, again, the church propagates some things that are wrong. So we will, as a church, we'll bring up on stage what I call the miracle guy testimony. Have you ever heard his testimony? Where he just had a bad life, right? I grew up bad. I smoked anything that would burn. I drank a case of beer a day. I stole everything that I have. But then two years to the day, I got saved by Jesus. And I have not sinned since. Jesus shows up in my room, tells me what to do. I fail not to obey him 100%. I go out on the streets of Grants Pass, I preach the gospel and thousands of people believe. And then when he's all done with his testimony, he like flutters and flies back to his seat and we're all like, oh, I wish we were like that. Listen, that person does not exist. And it's this idea that's been built into American Christianity that the Christian life is like a sprint. Just a hundred yard dash, dude, good for you. So people are like, oh, praise the Lord, you got saved. You know, I don't say that. You're in. Praise the Lord, you're saved. You know what I say? Praise the Lord, you started. You just started running now. And Hebrews 12, two says this, you have to run this race with endurance. And there's a way to teach the Bible that makes the Christian life look like a hundred yard dash, but you're not gonna talk about Job. You're not gonna talk about Joseph and his 20 years in prison and in slavery. Those marathons, those men ran. You're not gonna talk about Paul who weekly was getting the trash kicked out of him, okay? Paul's life was like Oregon State Beaver football. That's what it's like. Just weekly, you're gonna get the trash kicked out of you. Just how bad is it gonna be? How bad are they gonna get the trash out of you? That was it, his whole life. You don't teach those things because it's just a dash. No way, when I, people get saved, I say, welcome to the fight. You're on the sidelines. Now you're in the game. You're in the, just in the bleachers. Now you got the ball and they're coming after you. I'm not gonna lie to you. And here's the good news. The good news is this. You may not win the gold medal or whatever you're trying to get in life, whatever you think you're supposed to have, but you're gonna actually win. That gold medal, when it is a hollowing decoration 
at Goodwill, here's what you'll win, a heart of gold. That's what Job knew. Job 23 says this, when I'm tried, I'm gonna come forth like gold. All this stuff that's happening to me is okay because when I'm tried, I come forth like gold. You trust that. See, we give up because we forget the harvest isn't until fall. It's not till fall. Then number two, I think we give up because we start too big. December is the month of New Year's resolutions, right? You already kind of gear up for it. Like, how can I make 2019 better? You're getting articles. People are getting sent to you. You're getting text messages or emails. Here's what you do next year that's better, right? Good thing to do. Good exercise. I think it's healthy. No doubt about it. But here's the bad thing that you can do. You can then hear from somebody that's like, hey, every morning I wake up at 4 a.m. and I pray for two hours straight. And you're like, I'm doing that. So Monday morning, you wake up at 4 a.m. and you start to pray and you've prayed for everything and everybody you know and you look at your watch and it's been seven minutes. You're like, oh my goodness. What do I do now? You get out the phone book. You just start praying for random people. John Smith. I prayed Jesus you would help John Smith right? Josiah Smith. I pray Jesus, you would help Josiah. Ah, and it's been like 10 minutes. No, man, start small. I tell people, you want to start something, start small. I don't even know if people that say they pray for two hours actually pray for two hours. Because I think people that pray for two hours would never tell you they do that. I think someone that tells me he's doing it for two hours, I just am kind of doubtful of it. That's a long time. And if they do pray for two hours, they started simple and it grew. You start simple. All right, tomorrow morning, I'm gonna pray for 10 minutes. Most of us can spare 10 minutes and most of us can pray for 10 minutes. And if you start that discipline, that simple thing, just planting that seed, every morning, 10 minutes, here's what you find. At the end of the year, you've, you've prayed for 3,650 minutes. That's a ton of prayer. That's a ton of heart change that happens in you. I think we faint because we start too big. So just starting simple. Just a simple seed, gonna plant it, gonna do that. I think thirdly, we give up because we forget farming is hard and the harvest is good. Farming is hard work. It's one of the last places in the world that you have to work hard if you're gonna make money. Farming's hard, but the harvest is good. And we are a culture now of instant gratification, are we not? Who remembers cameras with film in them. Remember that? It took you like a month to take all the pictures on the, you know, the 24, the 36 roll. Then you had to put it in like a canister and then you put it in an envelope and you sent it off somewhere. And then whatever, two weeks later, you get the pictures back and they're literally from like six months ago. Like, that was a terrible picture. I wish we could do that one over, right? And then there was this brilliant thing called one hour photo. Remember that? Like, wow, how fast is that? Now it takes me a month to take my pictures, but I can get them back in one hour. Wow. Now you're looking at pictures that are a month old, right? And then there's a Polaroid. Put it under your sweaty armpit in one, two, three minutes, you got a picture. Now it's like instantaneous. Oh, that was bad, do over. Oh, that was bad. Like it's changed. We're an instant society now. Anything more than second day air, I'm like, cruel and unusual punishment. I'm going to Amazon, man. I want this in two days. Are you kidding me? I can't wait. Like letters. Remember writing a letter as a kid? You'd write a letter to somebody. You'd send it off. And you would not get a response to that letter for probably a month. And that was okay. And there was email. 
How long do you wanna wait on an email for a response? I gave one day and then I'm like, dude, what's wrong with you? You didn't get back to me on my email. How about a text message? It's like one minute. You didn't get back to me, bro. You mad at me, right? Because we're like, it's now. So I think we have it harder than anyone when it comes to this understanding. You know what technology has not sped up? My apple tree. It could care less. It takes me a year to do my job and you will not speed me up. If you want good apples, you need to wait. It has not sped that up. We've forgotten that farming is hard, but the harvest is good. And there's this great little text on this. It's in Jeremiah chapter 12, where Jeremiah is really complaining and he uses the farm analogy. He's like this, God, literally he says this, I know I shouldn't complain to you and I know it's wrong, but I'm gonna. You ever felt like that? I love that. Jeremiah's like, I know that this is wrong to complain, but I don't care anymore, right? And he says this, the bad dudes, they're like weeds. They're planted and they grow huge. And here I am doing everything right. I just keep getting whacked to the ground. God, what are you doing? Read it, it's brilliant. And God answers him in verse five and he says this. Here's why. Because I want you to run with horses. I love that text. You ever try to chase down a horse? I had horses at my house. One of the most frustrating thing in the world is owning a horse because you cannot run that thing down. I don't care if you're Usain Bolt, you are not running a horse down. They are faster than you. You cannot catch a horse. So what God is saying is this, trust me, Jeremiah, trust me. The harvest is hard, the farming's hard, no doubt, but you will not believe where I'll get you if you trust me. You'll write a story that no one can believe. Jeremiah could run down horses. Oh my goodness, that is a great story. It's you trust, trust. Yeah, farming's hard, but the harvest is good. Moms, raising babies is hard. I have so much more respect for moms watching my wife than any other job in the world. <laughs> raising babies is hard and it just gets harder. Small babies, small problems. Big babies, big problems, okay? It's hard but plant good seed because the harvest is coming. That's the promise of these scriptures. Plant good seed because the harvest is coming, okay? Singles, no doubt it's hard in this world. Probably harder than any other world with technology and Tinder and Craigslist and what, totally hard. And the way that people are nowadays, totally hard, I get it. Don't settle. Don't settle. There is something worse than being single. Does that make sense? And I deal with them all the time. I married the wrong person. Ah, okay. That's hard. Don't settle. Plant good seed because the harvest is coming, right? Addicts, totally hard. We have now the ability to tailor drugs in such a way that, that they become hyper-addictive. No, we have done that in a way that has twisted the human brain. I get that, hard, hard. Plant good seed today. You went, I have said this, I have used this text with addicts more than anything else. This in the Lord's prayer where Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. Today, you just get the strength. You don't worry about tomorrow or next week or what's gonna happen out there. Listen to me. Ask Jesus for strength today. Plant good seed today. That's what you need to do. 
That's it. And tomorrow will take care of itself because the harvest is coming, all right? And then lastly, and I just noticed this, but let me read it for you and see if you see it. It's verse nine. Why don't we have stick to itness? Maybe this is the reason. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. What are all the pronouns in those verses? Plural. We, us, we, us, we, us. For years, I've read this text individually. Me, I gotta plant good seed. I gotta do all these things. Pressure on me, 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 me. Because you know why? I'm an American and we're pioneers and we do it on our own and we don't need help, right? Every generation has songwriters that write songs about how we're gonna just do it on our own, right? The most modern one, right? I don't need nobody else. Solo ride, whatever it is, me, myself, and I, solo ride until I die. And it's just ridiculous, right? These songwriters writing their songs, like, I don't need you guys. Really? Who's gonna buy your junk then? You totally need us. Yeah, you'll be broke working at Walmart. Not that there's anything wrong with working at Walmart. <laughs> I may be working there soon, so... I to, I, you know what? I, one day I'm gonna be a, a Walmart greeter. I'm gonna do that for a while. Just try to like make that job awesome. Like it's not uh, right, but you know what? It's brilliant to me. I'm gonna get a hat that says make Walmart great again. <laughs> I should never go off script. It's one of my biggest problems in life. Stick to the script, Matt. It's the battle in my brain. There's like two sides. I was like, this would be funny if you did that. The other rational part is like, stop it. Why? Goodness. Okay. <laughs> Don't go solo. It's we, us, we, us, we, us. That's what it is. Right? There's this guy named Elijah in the Bible. He is held up as the prophet. He's the dude, right? He's amazing. Miracles you and I couldn't even imagine. Stops the rain, starts the rain. Brilliant. But in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, he is depressed and suicidal. God, just kill me. And what does God do? He says, you need a buddy. And he brings alongside of Elijah, this guy named Elisha. And then for the rest of Elijah's life, he doesn't have that problem anymore. But you're by yourself. You're trying to do this all alone. No wonder why you're so depressed. No wonder why you want to give up. No wonder why you're suicidal. You can't do this on your own, man. You need a buddy. That's why we push community groups. Don't sow seed by yourself. Get in a community group. Get with other people. Have, have mission as us, not as you. It's why we have Friday men's Bible study. Come, meet some other men, sew together. It's why Sean Logue has this Friday or this, this weekly download of here's opportunities to sow seed with a bunch of men. And it's 400 men on this email chain. 
come join. I've been on them, they're awesome. It's so fun. You go out, you break things, you get bloody, you just do what men do, right? And you have a great time and you meet some people and it's awesome. And you're sowing good seed together. That's why we have these things. That's why Monday is given to just ladies at our office. Come, link up, know people, sow seed together, not by yourself, or you'll get weary and you will give up. It's like Greg Bishop. Anybody hear about him this last week? Oh, talk about the feel-good story of the week. Greg Bishop, farmer in West Texas, got diagnosed with leukemia in September, began treatments immediately, but he's got a crop in his field. And when you're getting treatment for leukemia, you're not harvesting your crop. It's not, it's not happening. So he was taken out and he didn't know what he was gonna do. Didn't wanna ask for help because farmers are tough people. They're just tough people. So last Saturday, 80 of his neighbors got together, brought their combines over and their tractors over, spent their own diesel. They came over and they harvested all of his fields in one day. What would have taken him, they say three weeks, maybe a month, did it in one day. Harvested $420,000 worth of crop for him. And they started interviewing these people. Why'd you do this? Your own equipment, you put wear and tear on it. It cost you. And they said this, because Greg, Greg Bishop has done it for us. It's been we here. It's been we for a long time. And the we just keeps each other in check. He's ready to give up. Man, I got leukemia. I got a crop in the field. I can't, I'm ready to give up. And then all of a sudden, the we come. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to be. We, us, we, us, we, us. So what's the path forward? Okay, great. You got to plant good seed. Don't give up on that good seed, no doubt about it. What's the path forward? Notice verse 10. The language tells you. So then, Paul's finished his argument. Look it, it's like farming. Life is like farming. Plant good seed, don't give up on good seed. So then, okay, based on all that, so then what are we supposed to do? As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Keep planting good seed. It's that simple. Plant good seed, don't give up on that good seed and keep planting good seed. That's this entire little section. Like I'm trying to figure out how to say this well and I haven't figured out a way yet, but there's this saying, it's anything worth doing is, I disagree. I say anything worth doing is worth doing badly. Here's what I mean. If it's the right thing to do, it doesn't matter how good I am at it or how bad I am at it, I just need to do it, right? It's not like, well, that's not my gift or I'm not very good at that. No, it's, it doesn't matter. It's the right thing to do. It's good seed, I'm just gonna do it. And then maybe someone will see how bad I'm doing it and they're like, dude, please help, let me do that for you. My goodness, you're terrible. I'll praise God, then you do it. But anything worth doing is worth doing badly. Why? Because it's worth doing. I'm not going to use the excuse that I don't know, I don't know how to or, or I'm not gifted. No, it's the right thing to do. That's what Paul's saying. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. I don't want to fear a mess. I make it, might make a mess of this. I've made messes so often in ministry. It's some of the funnest times of my life. Go make messes, man. Try it. Why not? If it's worth doing, it's worth doing badly. Go do it badly. Get a buddy. Learn how to do it better. 
brilliant. Man, trust Jesus in it. And here's what I love. So many of you are planting such good seeds in our community. So before first service, I talked to a guy who's involved in our uh, holding drug babies at Three Rivers Community Hospital, which is a long line of seed, really. Charity and I were, were given this drug baby, um, Harry, about a year and a couple months, three months ago. And Charity was over in the NICU in Medford. You know, just she'd go over there at night and hold him during the day and during the night just uh, because we learned something. If you will hold a drug addicted baby, like it's time in the NICU is cut by a third and they don't require much morphine. Like it just, it's a rocket boost for them out of a really bad pregnancy. So just hold them. And we're like, we don't have something in Grants Pass. So a doctor here at Edgewater said, I'm gonna figure out how to do this. He has an intern and he gives the intern, they're all supposed to like have a community project. He gives the intern this project. And this intern gets this project started at Three Rivers. So now today in the NICU at Three Rivers Hospital, drug addicted babies are being held and loved and prayed for and good seed is being planted in these little hearts when they're brand new. Man, it's brilliant. I love it. And most of the people that are involved in this are Edgewater people. And then it's just expanding the church or the, the hospital staff is like, whoa, this is so cool. Why are you guys doing this? What's the deal? It just gives you opportunity. It's connecting us with moms that are really broken, real broken moms. So we can love them and help them. That's good, good seed. We have this idea that it's been in my head and it seemed crazy, but maybe it's gonna happen. We're calling it home bridging. Where home ownership is really important to the stability of a family. Like moving around a bunch isn't the best for your kids or for you. And there's this thing that happens to somebody if they don't have the relational capital, meaning they don't have parents or someone rich behind them, or they don't have their own capital. They don't have great jobs that pay them lots of money because Grants Pass doesn't have a ton of those jobs. So we have these people in Grants Pass that are working hard and they're responsible, but they're stuck in a rent cycle. It's just perpetual. They're not gonna get out of it because 13, 14, 15, $1,600 a month doesn't leave enough extra to start saving up for stuff. So it's perpetual renting. So I thought, could we solve that? Could we buy the junkiest, rattiest houses in the best neighborhood possible and then with volunteer hours, fix it and then have some donor families that have means actually buy the house. And that house go into a uh, LLC and then over the course of three years, the, the new family, the family that's been renting, they move into that house, they fix up some stuff, they get a loan from the bank and then they buy it from the families that don't, donated for three years. Like some kind of system like that. And, and then I wrote up a proposal and we've been talking to families that have the means to do that kind of stuff. And here's what I love. All of them said, sign me up. I would totally do that. I'll be the rocket boost, the, the relational capital, the, the financial capital that this family did not have to get them out of this perpetual thing. I love that. And that's good seed inside of our community. I love that. Say families. Like it's gaining traction. We, we're, we're hosting a bunch of kids right now. But even more of that, we're helping moms kind of with stuff. Um, and, and one of the most interesting things that happened this last couple of weeks was I go to the office and there next to Rachel, our receptionist, is a two-month-old baby. And I'm like, what? Rachel, what's the deal here? <laughs> Confess, right? 
Well, it's this mom that pretty much dropped off her two-month-old with us at the office. Didn't really know us, don't, you know, like all that. I'm like, wow, that's crazy. And this same baby, her name is Bella. She shows up my, at my house this week on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. I'm like, wow, this is interesting. So we start to talk to the mom a bit, try to get more of the story, like what's going on, what happened? Well, she's from North Carolina, had a difficult transition from a marriage that just crumbled and broke and kind of abusive situation. So she comes out here and just no resources. And she's trying to do Uber in Medford to pay bills, but she's got a two-month-old. Most people don't wanna take an Uber next to a two-month-old. So the Clarks, a family at Edgewater, connects with her. And they learn that she doesn't have any laundry facilities at the Airbnb she's renting. So they said, well, let's do your laundry for you. So she drops off her laundry in the morning and they do the laundry for her. And, she, and they ask, well, do you need anything else? She said, yeah, I really need a babysitter. So the church gets a call. And then, okay, Rachel, all right, it's here. And then, you know, it just kind of, it steps like that. And I love this. I love the fact that she looked at the church to be the solution, not the government. I love that. I want church to be a solution. That kind of stuff doesn't happen with programs. It happens because of Jesus people. That she trusts Jesus people with her most precious possession, this beautiful, very well-behaved two-month-old. Man, how cool is that? That's good, good seed. OYA, right? You know, back over by our office. People have been going in there planting good seed for years. This last fall, I guess it's still fall. A short while ago, a bunch of these kids gave their life to Jesus and there was this baptism party for them. That's just brilliant, good seed. Wednesday night here, paradise, massive catastrophe. Something that I don't know, if I've ever seen anything like that in my life, like the speed and the craziness of that. Wednesday night, a woman just shows up because she heard, maybe this is a place that you can find help. So she comes to our Wednesday night Bible study. She goes, I need a place to stay. Lost my apartment in the fire down there. I'm looking to restart. Can you help me? And a, a family on Wednesday night just said, come stay at my house. You can come stay at my house. Just like that. I love that. That's good seed. It's happening all over. Tons of it. So I feel like I'm supposed to say to you, a bunch of you, that God would say to you, well done, good and faithful servants. Well done. Keep planting good seed. Keep it up. It's how our city is changed. But there may be some in here who you hear the same message about planting good seed and don't give up on good seed and keep planting good seed and your heart condemns you because you know you haven't been planting good seed. Let me read one final verse for you and then I'm done. Look at verse 14. But far be it from me to boast a boasting in my good seed, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says the one thing I'll boast in is Jesus in the cross. One of the reasons why I asked you guys to read your Bibles is because what you'll find in these pages 
is a bunch of people who planted really bad seeds, right? David, he's called a man after God's own heart. You know what he was as well? An adulterer, a murderer, and a liar, right? He wrote brilliant songs, no doubt about it. But you know what? If we got his resume at Edgewater, we would not hire him. Nah, dude, sorry. Thanks for the songs, but no. Yep, we're not hiring you. Okay, there's more nastiness in this book than in any one of your lives. Paul would know this. I murdered people. I was a bad dude. I planted a really bad seed. And so the one boast I have now is in Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And that's the only seed I'm gonna ultimately boast in. That's the only thing that I stand on is his righteousness. Okay? And sometimes I think we just gotta get over ourselves. And we just keep looking at ourselves, how bad we are. Stop looking at yourself. Start looking at Jesus. Start looking at the cross. We take communion every week here because that's what we want you to do. Stop looking at yourself. Of course you can find something wrong with you. Totally, you're human. Look at Jesus. Eat and drink of what he's done for you. Boast in one thing, the cross and him crucified. It's the, it's the knife that cuts the anchor of all of our bad seed and hoists the sail of the opportunity to plant good seed. That his mercies are brand new this morning. That his grace is greater than your junk. That's what we eat and we drink. And so Jesus, this day, I'm thankful for good seed sowers. I pray that we would not grow weary in doing those things. That even this day, Lord, we'd come in and be encouraged to continue to plant good seed, to not give up on the good seed, and to keep planting good seed. Help us in that. And for those in here that feel condemnation and worry and anxiety, I pray that they would eat and drink of your grace and your mercy. And they would know that today they have the opportunity to plant good seed and to see a good crop planted for their future. So would you renew us and refresh us and re-engage us. And may we go from here today back to homes and neighborhoods and jobs and relationships, able, willing to plant good seed. And I ask this in your name, amen.